Chapter 4 And now, behold, my brethren, as I said unto you that I would prophesy, behold, this is my prophecy, that the things which this prophet Zeno spake concerning the house of Israel, in the which he likened them unto a tame olive tree, must surely come to pass. And in the day that he shall set his hand again the second time to recover his people is the day, yea, even the last time, that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard, and after that the end soon cometh. And how blessed are they who have labored diligently in his vineyard, and how cursed are they which shall be cast out into their own place. And the world shall be burned with fire, and how merciful is our God unto us, for he remembereth the house of Israel, both roots and branches, and he stretches forth his hand unto them all the day long. And they are a stiff-necked and a gainsaying people, and as many as will not harden their hearts shall be saved in the kingdom of God. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I beseech of you in words of soberness that ye would repent and come with full purpose of heart and cleave unto God as he cleaveth unto you. And while his arm of mercy is extended towards you in the light of the day, harden not your hearts. Yea, today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For why will ye die? For behold, after that ye have been nourished by the good word of God all the day long, will ye bring forth evil fruit that ye must be hewn down and cast into the fire? Behold, will ye reject these words? Will ye reject the words of the prophets, and will ye reject all the words which have been spoken concerning Christ, after that so many have spoken concerning him, and deny the good word of Christ, and the power of God, and the gift of the Holy Ghost, and quench the Holy Spirit, and make a mock of the great plan of redemption which hath been laid for you? Know ye not that if ye will do these things, that the power of the redemption and the resurrection which is in Christ will bring you to stand with shame and awful guilt before the bar of God, and according to the power of justice, for justice cannot be denied, that ye must go away into that lake of fire and brimstone, whose flames are unquenchable, and whose smoke ascendeth up for ever and ever, which lake of fire and brimstone is endless torment. O then, my beloved brethren, repent ye, and enter in at the straight gate, and continue in the way which is narrow, until ye shall obtain eternal life. O be wise, what can I say more? Finally, I bid you farewell, until I shall meet you before the pleasing bar of God, which bar striketh the wicked with awful dread and fear. Amen. Chapter 5 and now it came to pass that after some years had passed away, there came a man among the people of Nephi whose name was Sherem. And it came to pass that he began to preach among the people and to declare unto them that there should be no Christ. And he preached many things which were flattering unto the people, and this he did that he might overthrow the doctrine of Christ. And he labored diligently that he might lead away the hearts of the people, and so much that he did lead away many hearts." And he, knowing that I, Jacob, had faith in Christ, which should come, wherefore he sought much opportunity that he might come unto me. And he was learned that he had a perfect knowledge of the language of the people, wherefore he could use much flattery and much power of speech according to the power of the devil. And he had hoped to shake me from the faith, 
notwithstanding the many revelations and the many things which I had seen concerning these things, for I truly had seen angels, and they had ministered unto me. And also I had heard the voice of the Lord speaking unto me in very word from time to time, wherefore I could not be shaken. And it came to pass that he came unto me, and on this wise did he speak unto me, saying, Brother Jacob, I have sought much opportunity that I might speak unto you, for I have heard and also know that thou goest about much, preaching that which ye call the gospel or the doctrine of Christ. And ye have led away much of this people, that they pervert the right way of God, and keep not the law of Moses, which is the right way, and convert the law of Moses into the worship of a being, which ye say shall come many hundred years hence. And now, behold, I, Sherem, declare unto you, that this is blasphemy, for no man knoweth of such things, for he cannot tell of things to come. And after this manner did Sherem contend against me, but behold, the Lord God poured in his spirit into my soul, and so much that I did confound him in all his words. And I said unto him, Deniest thou the Christ which shall come? And he saith, If there should be a Christ, I would not deny him. But I know that there is no Christ, neither hath been nor ever will be. And I saith unto him, Believest thou the scriptures? And he saith, Yea. And I saith unto him, Then ye do not understand them, for they truly testify of Christ. Behold, I say unto you, that none of the prophets have written nor prophesied, save they have spoken concerning this Christ. And this is not all. It hath been made manifest unto me, for I have heard and seen, and it also hath been made manifest unto me by the power of the Holy Ghost. Wherefore I know if there should be no atonement made, all mankind must be lost. And it came to pass that he saith unto me, Show me a sign by this power of the Holy Ghost, in the which ye know so much. And I said unto him, what am I that I should tempt God to show unto thee a sign, and the thing which thou knowest to be true? Yet thou wilt deny it, because thou art of the devil. Nevertheless, not my will be done. But if God shall smite thee, let that be a sign unto thee that he hath power, both in heaven and in earth, and also that Christ shall come. And thy will, O Lord, be done, and not mine. And it came to pass that when I, Jacob, had spoken these words, the power of the Lord came upon him, and so much that he fell to the earth. And it came to pass that he was nourished for the space of many days. And it came to pass that he saith unto the people, Gather together on the morrow, for I shall die. Wherefore I desire to speak unto the people before that I shall die. And it came to pass that on the morrow that the multitude were gathered together, and he spake plainly unto them, and denied the things which he had taught them, and confessed the Christ, and the power of the Holy Ghost, and the ministering of angels. And he spake plainly unto them that he had been deceived by the power of the devil, and he spake of hell, and of eternity, and of eternal punishment. And he saith, I fear lest I have committed the unpardonable sin. For I have lied unto God, for I denied the Christ, and I said that I believed the Scriptures, and they truly testify of Him. And because that I have thus lied unto God, I greatly fear lest my case shall be awful, but I confess unto God. And it came to pass that when he had said these words, he could say no more. 
and he gave up the ghost. And when the multitude had witnessed that he spake these things as he was about to give up the ghost, they were astonished exceedingly, and so much that the power of God came down upon them, and they were overcome that they fell to the earth. Now this thing was pleasing unto me, Jacob, for I had requested it of my Father which is in heaven, for he had heard my cry and answered my prayer. And it came to pass that peace and the love of God were restored again among the people, and they searched the scriptures and hearkened no more to the words of this wicked man. And it came to pass that many means were devised to reclaim and restore the Lamanites to the knowledge of the truth. But it all was vain, for they delighted in wars and bloodsheds, and they had an eternal hatred against us, their brethren. And they sought by the power of their arms to destroy us continually. Wherefore the people of Nephi did fortify against them with their arms and with all their might, trusting in the God and the rock of their salvation, wherefore they became as yet conquerors of their enemies. And it came to pass that I, Jacob, began to be old. And the record of this people being kept on the other plates of Nephi, wherefore I conclude this record, declaring that I have written according to the best of my knowledge by saying, that the time passed away with us, and also our lives passed away, like as it were unto us a dream. We, being a lonesome and a solemn people, wanderers cast out from Jerusalem, born in tribulation in a wilderness, and hated of our brethren, which caused wars and contentions, wherefore we did mourn out our days. And I, Jacob, saw that I must soon go down to my grave, Wherefore I said unto my son Enos, Take these plates. And I told him the things which my brother Nephi had commanded me, and he promised obedience unto the commands. And I make an end of my writing upon these plates, which writing hath been small. And to the reader I bid farewell, hoping that many of my brethren may read my words. Brethren, adieu. Pressure all around me saying, go ahead, give in. Save your soul for another day. Struggling between the enemy and the one only true friend. I'm finding it hard not to slip away. But then I hear you softly. Calling out my name Come unto me All ye That labor and are heavy laden And I will give you rest
deserve this wondrous mercy you have shown Yet you show it time and time again When I'm trapped inside Satan's cold dark embrace You are there Chapter 4 It's quick and it has some very good verses that I use in, in other studies. And I think it's kind of interesting. You can tell that uh, through the structure, he says goodbye. I mean, he finishes it with an amen, right? He puts a stamp on it and he's done. And then something else happens. And there's a chapter five, which he, you know, they're writing on plates. They're writing on, on uh, metal plates. You can't really undo what you did. So he, he adds another chapter. And we see this happen a lot in the Book of Mormon, but I think it's another witness to what we are reading. These were metal plates. This is how they had to do it. And he was all done. And he he had his, he put a stamp on it and he put a seal of approval and he's done. And, and he said his amen. And then there's this other chapter and you go through sort of a denouement. And denouement is the perfect word because of what happens at the end of chapter five. So getting way ahead of myself. Chapter four, let's pick out some of these verses in chapter four. Let's start with chapter, uh, let's see, uh, ch- obviously chapter four, verse five. At the very end, you have burned with fire, the very end of verse five. And you can make a little note, Revelations 18.8 has the same grand finale of the world, and it ends with being burned by fire. So I, I kind of put a link there. Verse eight, the very end of verse eight, I like this, where it says, and cleave unto God as he cleaveth unto you. And I like the sentiment there. It, it's you, you grab a hold of it and you don't let go. Cleave is, is like a very strong, like you're grasping a hold of it. And I like the imagery of that verse, not only because of, of your cleaving unto God, but he's grabbing a hold of you too, right? You're not going to get away. He's not going to let you get away. If you hold on to him, he is not going to let go of you and he's going to hold on to you. So it's a, it's the imagery is what I like about that verse and how it works. He won't let go of you if you hold on to him. Then verse 10. Verse 10 is the is the best. So of this chapter, highlight just the first two words of verse 10 in one color and then the rest of it in another color. And it has more emphasis. Yea, today. Today. You know, this is the time right now, today. If you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, for why will ye die? Make the decision today, and if you will, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Because if you do, you're going to die. And the the decision has to be made now. And the decision is today. And the situation you're in is that you are you have the option to to hear his voice or harden your hearts. And and it's very clear: you will die. For why will you die? Why will you choose death? The next verse is verse fourteen. When I saw this with these words, when I was studying this, it, it kind of popped out at me that there is a plan of redemption. And this verse kind of Jacob kind of shows us that the power of the redemption and the resurrection, which is in Christ. So I just highlight that one section, the plan of redemption, the power of redemption, the resurrection, it's all through Christ. It is Christ that, that the plan of redemption uh, establishes it's through, through him. So if this plan of redemption, and I think there's a plan of redemption and there's a plan of salvation, we hear them all the time in the scriptures. This is just the first time we're going to mention it. And I'm sure I'll mention it before or, or later. 
And in fact, I mentioned it in chapter five and I have an analogy I'm going to go through just because I like it. And I'm going to keep, uh, whenever these verses come up about a plan of redemption and plan of salvation, you're probably going to hear this message again. And then the last uh, verse is 18 and he says the pleasing bar of God. So if you're standing before at, at final judgment and there's this bar and you kind of like when lawyers, they have to pass the bar exam, they have to do, this is what's, it's, it's a court of law to me. And you have someone who is judging and God, right? So he is the one that judges us and we're standing before this, this bar. And most of the time, I don't like the feeling of being in a courtroom and being measured. It's, it's, uh harrowing right this though is a different picture it says he calls it the pleasing bar of god and there's another guy who says the same thing and it's moroni and he says it he says the same thing and and when i think about this i think uh, this is kind of the timeline he he was probably in my mind i'm guessing but but i think he he may have read this and says yeah the pleasing bar of god that that's the last you know, since last chapter of the Book of Mormon, and he calls it the same thing before the pleasing bar of the great Jehovah. But uh, I, when I when I read it here in Jacob, I said I know that verse, and and it's at the end of the Book of Mormon, and Mor- uh, Moroni says the same thing, and in my mind, I think Moroni stole it from Jacob, but I, you know, I can't prove that, but I think he read Jacob and said, man, that's a good thought, I I like that. And I'm going to use it that <laughs> I know he had these books and he was compiling them and he was putting t- them together with the other records. So I think, uh, I think Moroni plagiarized this, but I remembered it was in Moroni. So that's the end of chapter four. Let's go on to chapter five, chapter five, verse six. This is interesting. He was learned. We're talking about this, uh, Sherem guy. And he was the verse six, and he was learned that he had a perfect knowledge of the language of the people, wherefore he could use much flattery and much power of speech according to the power of the devil. And so this these are the types of people we come up against in the world. They're they're well learned. They're they're the Bill Mars of the world, and they've got all the arguments already rehearsed, and they make a career out of attacking people for their beliefs, and they're good at it. They're good at using language and using um, a practiced uh, manipulation of of, uh, and it's not manipulation. I guess it's taking an intelligent way of taking apart your argument. And, and they've always got this other answer. They've always got something else. And if you're not ready and prepared for that, there are people who do go around trying to take away the foundation you're standing on as a Christian. They attack it. They, they practice it. They are well-versed in this. And it's not in our nature to, to do this, but it is in their nature to, to attack Christians. And so this is what we're up against sometimes. And now let's add to that verse nine. Not only is he well-versed, but he is coming at Jacob. He, he wants to contend with Jacob and the way he does it. He, he, he walks up to him and he says, brother Jacob, I have sought much opportunity that I might speak unto you for I have heard and also know that thou goest about much preaching that with that, which ye call the gospel or the doctrine of Christ. And ye have led away much of this people that they pervert the right way of God and keep not the law of Moses, which is the right way and convert the law of Moses into the worship of a being, 
which ye say shall come many hundred years hence. And now, behold, I, Sherem, declare unto you that this is blasphemy, for no man knoweth of such things, for he cannot tell of things to come. So he he seeks out uh, Jacob, and he's gunning for him, and he is prepared, and he's practiced in what he's doing, and he is leading away all of these people with skill and flattery and and, uh, perfect knowledge of the language. And these are the people that scare me the most. These are the guys that... Sometimes I doubt my own abilities, right? I doubt my, I don't doubt my faith, but I doubt my ability to contend with them in a manner that would be, that I would hold my own and not be made a fool for my beliefs. And so that's what these apologetic studies are about. They're there to help you when guys like this are coming at you with a purpose and a plan to undermine Christianity and and you are under attack if you call yourself a Christian, you're going to come up against one of these guys sooner or later. And so we got to be prepared. We got to be studying our scriptures and, and use these resources like the apologetic study to be prepared for this. And now, so his his logic is that the law of Moses is God's law and that he gave to Moses and it's got nothing to do with Christ. And so he he is anti-Christ now at Jacob and the scriptures and the prophets. He's about to tell him all things point to Christ. And if you say you believe the scriptures, you don't understand them. Let's jump to verse 21. This is the, the other part of this plan of redemption I was talking about. So he finishes talking with Sherem and he, and he finishes with this sentence Wherefore, I know if there should be no atonement made, all mankind must be lost. So there's this, he, Jacob understands this plan of redemption, of taking mankind from their fallen state and, and the role of Christ in, in the plan of redemption. And it replies and, and refers back to Christ because we were just talking about him. These, this is what the uh, law of Moses is talking about. So real quickly, my, my take on the plan of redemption Versus the plan of salvation. Redemption is all about Jesus Christ. And the plan of salvation is all about God going and picking people. So if God is picking this one and that one and that one, he sees something salvageable, salvation, right? And now redemption is Christ's job. God said he picks this one and Christ says, okay, I'm going to take that one. I'm going to polish it up for you because it's not ready yet. And the way I I look at this or, or the way it was presented to me, was a, a series of sermons by Glenn Orsted. And it was great imagery and it spoke to me very clearly and in a, in a perfect way because he showed a rusty old muscle car that had been in a in the, the tall weeds of some hillbilly's front yard, right? And just rusted out and in disrepair. I mean, it, it's a piece of junk. And so he shows you a picture of this car. Then he shows you a picture of a brand new Corvette, right? And he says, which one would you rather have? And most people will say, you know, the Corvette it's, you can go out and buy that Corvette and, and it's, it's way more expensive than the car. You could buy that Corvette and sell the Corvette and buy 50 of those cars, right? So the Corvette is obviously more value. Then the next slide is a new or not a new, but the same muscle car that's been fixed up and restored and it and it's shiny and new and it's got, you know, a big blower sticking out the top of the hood and thick, you know, street slicks 
and a V8 engine that just growls and it, it looks scary when you start it. Kids run away from the motor, that kind of thing. So that that I, I'm sure you can I, 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 saw, I saw and heard all of this in the picture that he showed me. Right. Because it was connected to my heartstrings when I saw that picture. I knew what that picture was and all that it entailed and the hum of the motor and the, the power of the of the, you know, that you feel because uh, I happen to have I may or may not have taken my father's car out once or twice and and broke the speed limit a little and i know what that feels like it's a rush and so having a restored car that's a muscle car that's one of a kind that's customized not only is it special for that reason uh the son gives that car to his father as a gift instead of the corvette he found this car and he worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and repaired it and fixed it. And maybe they worked on it together sometimes. Maybe there was parts that were hard to find and, and just all the effort and bloody knuckles. When you, when you work on an engine, your knuckles are going to bleed. You're going to, boy, that's a bad analogy because obviously Christ suffered and bled and died. But um, take that aside, but the, the actual work that goes into restoring a car, you know how much that work that Christ did in restoring you. Look at your life and all the things that you've done wrong, and you know how much effort, right? We all know, have to look at ourselves and say, I know Jesus has worked hard on my life and restoring me to something that God would want. And so the plan of uh, salvation is God picking something to be salvaged and you uh, being chosen, right? Because we're all called but something fewer chosen, I think, is, is part of the scriptures. But he's calling all men to him. And and if you take that step to be baptized, you know, and follow his commandments, he will work with you. It's not saying that, oh, I'm baptized, I'm reborn, all my sins are washed clean, and now I'm immediately a changed man. Yes, you have the Spirit of God with you, but there is still a lot of restoration that has to be done on us until you know our lives are over and Christ presents us to God as that restored car. Long, long uh, rambling there about the uh, plan of redemption, but this verse shows that Christ is the one, and the other verse back in chapter 4, verse 14. It's all about redemption and the resurrection and then all of the law of Moses pointing to Christ and an atonement that has to be made. So moving on. Verse 22. Show me a sign. We have heard this before. And he's challenging this man who is, is uh, contending with, with Jacob, who has sought him out, and he's calling him out and he's saying, show me a sign. It, it's, it's a challenge to God. And that is a dangerous thing to do. And there's a similar thought. I'm going to turn to Luke 16, verses 22 to 31. And if you, this is a verse I would mark in your Book of Mormon. Luke 16, 27 through 31. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What does that have to do with it? So, And my, and my thought is, if someone is challenging God in this manner, 
who's contending with you and then is is just kind of i can i can see the braggartry in his in the words that are written here uh, uh, of that type that personality type well then show me a sign and if this is the case and you want a sign you know jesus said in that in that parable a sign won't do you any good. You have Moses and the prophets. And even if I showed you a sign, even if I sent someone from the dead, you would still not believe. And I think Jacob per- perceives that. And he knows in his heart, or, or or it's obvious to everyone there that this guy doesn't, a sign isn't going to do anything. But he does get a sign, doesn't he? He challenges God and Jacob prays, if it's the will of God, let this happen. And he struck down and he's and it's a lot like the story of Alma. And then what happens in verse 30? He comes out of it after and he's been, you know, for uh, for the space of many days he's been struck down and nourished by people uh, who t- were taking care of him. And then he comes out of it. It came to pass uh, verse 30 and it came to pass on the morrow the multitude were gathered together and he spake plainly unto them and denied the things which he had taught them and confessed the Christ and confessed the Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost and the ministering of angels. And he spake plainly unto them that he had been deceived by the power of the devil. And he spake of hell and of eternity and of eternal punishment. What was going on in his heart, in his mind? You you asked for a sign and, and I do not want to be struck down like this type of a sign. Uh, we need to be careful that this, and I don't think any of us will ever be like this, but... I, I kind of feel for Sharon that I don't want anybody to have to go through that. But this is what was required, I believe, for his soul. And I, in my opinion, when you read the rest of this, I believe he was saved. Let's continue with 33. And he said, I fear lest I have committed the unpardonable sin, for I have lied unto God. For I denied the Christ and said that I believed the scriptures and they truly testify of him. And because I have thus lied unto God, I greatly fear lest my case shall be awful but I confess unto God. And it came to pass that when he had said these words, he could say no more and he gave up the ghost. So was he, was he a good guy? No. Uh, does he deserve to go to hell? You know, uh, that's not for us to judge. It seems like this guy got what he deserved. Here's your sign. And then, you know, your life is over. In my mind though, when I read that, I just, I, I go to, uh, Alma chapter 16. Alma 16 is good. There's another guy who did the same thing. It was Korahor and he's on 16 verse 52 and he does a very similar things going on. Um, but let's go to Alma 16 verses 229 to 234. And this is the Alma 16 is great. We're going to get to that. It's going to be a fun study. But let's start here. And now, as I said unto you before, as ye have had so many witnesses, therefore I beseech of you that ye do not procrastinate the day of your repentance until the end. For after this day of life, which is given us to prepare for eternity, behold, if we do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh the night of darkness wherein there can be no labor performed. Ye cannot say when ye are brought to that awful crisis that I will repent, that I will return to my God. Nay, ye cannot say this, for that same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time that ye go out of this life, that same spirit will have power to possess your body in the eternal world. So with this sentiment, when I read his story, he was struck down, and if he had died without ever coming back to give his sentence, his his statements 
about Christ and that he was wrong and that he professes God, to me, there was a purpose in him being struck down. There was a purpose and God used him not only for the people around to be made uh, aware of these uh, evil teachings, but I, I believe and, I, and my hope is that for Sherem and for people like him, he was able to come back and repent uh, or at least declare his, his um, sins to God. And who knows what was going on in his heart. I, I would have to think he was repenting fervently in his heart under, under the circumstances he was in. But he says that the, the spirit will have power to possess your body in that eternal world. The, whatever spirit that was possesses you when you go out of this world. So he was struck down and he came back. And I believe that he has given, he was given the opportunity to make it right before God took him. And I'm going to go to verse 237, the very end of it. Humble yourselves even to the dust and worship God in whatsoever place ye may be in, in spirit and in truth. And that's what he did there. It, I, I, it's, it's how, how much is that as worship? I mean, he was declaring God and he was declaring him and he was humbled. Uh, uh, there may be people that disagree with me. I, I'm not so sure that he is. My hope is that this is a lesson that shows there's still a chance. And even this guy who, who just did it all wrong, he was struck down. He got his sign and he came back to, to declare his mistakes and given that opportunity while he had the chance. Cause if he had died and never gotten the chance to repent of it, then I think he would have belonged, you know, to, to the devil. But I think there was a purpose that God had for him. I think he was struck down to teach him to 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 rack his soul with with torment to to stir him up to repentance and to declare those things that is my hope that there is never it's never too late until you're dead it is never too too late and here's the consequences let's go to verse 38 the sec, the second half of 38 when they discovered and they heard this witness they changed their their lives and what did they do they searched the scriptures and hearkened no more to the words of this wicked man. They searched the scriptures and they hearkened no more to the words of this wicked man. The idea, though, is that they searched the scriptures. If they had been searching the scriptures, maybe the words of this man, wicked man wouldn't have had so great an effect. But they overcame it. The lesson was there for them. And they began to search the scriptures. And that's what we got to do, too. Wrapping up chapter 5 and the book of Jacob. Let's turn to verse 43 and 44. I, I always, so it's the end of uh, this man's writing. And I love the poetic style and the, the sorrow that, let's read how he describes it. That the time passed away with us and also our lives passed away like as it were unto us a dream. We being a lonesome and a solemn people Wanderers cast out from Jerusalem, born in tribulation in a wilderness, and hated of our brethren, which caused wars and contentions. Wherefore, we did mourn out our days. Just so surreal, I guess. And lastly, verse 48. And to the reader, I bid farewell, hoping that many of my brethren may read my words. So we get his second, his second ending, his second goodbye and he chose he chooses the word he chose the word adieu that's a french word what is that doing in there right what is you know the book of mormon 
how on earth is that word? It doesn't belong there, but I like that it's there. The meaning of it, it means goodbye, but it also, you break it down into its roots. It's, it's a, a Latin. It means to God, to God. Same like uh, the word adios. They're both Latin words. They mean to God, but it means goodbye. And I, I just, I'd love that he has this, I, I called it earlier, a denouement. His story was ended in chapter four, and then he has this last chapter, this last bit, and you learn a little bit more about Jacob in chapter five. And I just, it makes his, his uh, verses 43 and 44 that much more powerful, that he went through a lot, and he was a leader of his people, and he ends up passing the records on to his son, and we will read about that next. When I listen, I can softly hear you say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and Yeah. Mm-hmm.